and welcome back to this edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Liebau, president of Yankee Institute, and we are delighted today to be joined by the fierce and fabulous Themis Claritus, the former minority leader of the Connecticut House of Representatives and the first woman to ever hold that post. And now Themis is flourishing in private life, but she is also uh, providing some insightful political analysis. And to that end, she was kind enough to agree to join us to talk a little bit about what happened on Election Day. And Themis, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I will clarify first and only. Okay. Woman House Republican leader. So I hope there'll, there'll be many more to come, though. Absolutely. So talk to us. What do you think happened? I mean, I don't know how high expectations were in Connecticut compared to the rest of the country for people on the more conservative side of the road. But obviously, nationwide, there was a feeling that expectations were not met. Do you think that was the case in Connecticut? Or do you think people's expectations were already pretty low? I don't know if I would say their expectations were pretty low. I mean, I think we're used to in Connecticut understanding that, you know, we're, we're kind of different on the political spectrum, that people fall more in the middle. And I hate to use the word moderate, conservative, or liberal, but I, you know, I like to say common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not stuck on one side or the other, right? They're, they're more interested in people that can get things done and be collaborative, yet stick up for the things that they believe Connecticut voters believe in. So I think the more accurate way to put it would be I mean, there were people that believed that the top of the ticket could win. I think that, you know, when you look at the governor's race, uh, whether we agree or not, you know, every poll, everyone, uh, public poll said that the governor was ahead 10 to 15 points. I thought that was pretty accurate. I thought, you know, oftentimes when you go into elections, it tightens up. I mean, it did four years ago, and that's a, a typical thing. This didn't happen. And you know, I think it's for a few reasons. Governor Lamont is popular. Whether we agree with that or not, Governor Lamont, people believe that he handled COVID well. Whether we agree with that or not, that's what the average person believes. Right. And they believe that their life isn't isn't really any worse. And if you're going to run against an incumbent, you have only two roads to pick from, and only two. Time for a change or stay the course. Clearly, Lamont was pushing stay the course. Bob was pushing time for a change, but he didn't really make that argument clearly well enough that the people people bought it. Um, you know, so I think that, I mean, for me and a lot of people, we just didn't think he would lose by that much. Same thing with the U.S. Senate race. Um, you know, the positions of, of Leora Levy were not consistent with Connecticut voters. Bob at least tried to take more, um, you know, moderate positions. She didn't. And, and that, you know, that was not a surprise from, from the beginning. Um, so, I don't. I think the surprise was really they lost by as much as they lost by, yeah. not that they lost. And I think Governor Lamont, in some ways, benefited from um, by comparison with what you saw going on next door in New York. You know, during COVID and everything else. I mean, by simply coming across as milder and somewhat less extreme than Andrew Cuomo mm-hmm. and Kathy Hochul, you look pretty good. Exactly. So he did. He did benefit from that. I mean, because listen, relative to Governor Cuomo, I, I, you know, I mean, from top to bottom, just his persona and you know the way he approached things. You know, he was very hard charging, in your face, 
aggressive all the time. And then the, and then the nursing home debacle uh, tragedies that happened there. I mean, we had our own issues here, but it was nothing like what happened there. But you compare and contrast those two with, say, Governor Baker of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. right? Governor Baker of Massachusetts, a Republican in a blue state, and Governor Hogan in Maryland, a Republican in a blue state, two of the most popular governors in the country. Neither one of them ran for re-election. Governor Hogan was term limited. Um, and Governor Baker just decided not to run, but they both would have won if they ran, if they ran again. And it's so interesting. You have New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, and all three of them are blue states. Um, you know, I think we're probably we're probably more purple than than blue, but we we trend towards blue. There's no question about it. Three completely different leaders. You know, Governor Baker, you know, took charge and made decisions. A lot of decisions that say Republicans in Connecticut wouldn't agree with similar to governor Lamont with COVID and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But, you know, he's, he's fiscally responsible. He, you know, he knows he is in a blue state, so he needs to be collaborative. But I think that's really the message here that we've lost all along the way. You know, I was leader, as you mentioned, for six years, I was in the legislature. I fought tooth and nail for whatever I believed in because I believed it was best for Connecticut. You know, so this isn't about giving in on your principles or or your values, but it's about understanding, you know, you have to fight, fight to the death for certain things, meaning you're never going to agree to a compromise with certain things. But for the most part, you're elected, whether there's a Republican or a Democrat after your name to do what's best for the state. And, you know, if you're in the minority, then then that that angle is different the way you have to look at it. If in the majority, that angle is different. You know, if you're a Republican governor in a Democrat state or a Democrat governor in a Republican state, you know, those those decisions are different. And I think that what this election showed nationally is people are sick of the extremism on both sides and they want people, you know, um, to be more reasonable and, and and fight for what they believe in. But at the end, get things done. I think that's the takeaway from this. Election. And, and so talk to me about Lee Zeldin in New York, because he came pretty close to unseating Kathy Hochul. Is that just, you know, a symptom of the problems New York has and the fact that people were feeling kind of desperate? Or is it in a way he presented himself? Or how do you think that whole situation worked? Um, because, I mean, he presented a pretty distinct choice. Um, you know, between what he was offering and what Kathy Hochul was offering. And yet, you know, he gave her a a good race. And Mm -hmm. at the end, um, you know, you still have people calling for him to be made the head of the RNC. What what do you think about that? I think New York is is a much more unique situation than some of the our other states. And, And by that, I mean, you have a couple you have several variables working at the same time. Number one, New York has traditionally, you know, had a very strong conservative party, right? We've seen that the New York State Senate has been split many a time, you know, which has not happened in Connecticut, has not happened in Massachusetts, you know, where people caucus with other people and, um, you know, the conservative party operates differently because New York is so much bigger and northern New York State Mm -hmm. is so much more conservative. And then you have New York City you know, and, and right. Southern New York, that's so much more liberal. Right. So I think it's just a different dynamic to start historically. Then you add in people are pissed about Andrew Cuomo right. still. Right. And they're connecting Hochul to him. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So then you have that second dynamic working in there. Then she has taken very liberal positions, Governor Hochul, um, and she has not taken any strong position on crime. And what happened, what's been going on in New York City, you know, the, the bastion of Democrat registration in the whole state, um, they started turning on her because they're living, they walk out their door and, and bad things are happening every day. You know, we've been talking about that in Connecticut and other states too. But in New York, I think it was, it was, um, they were hypersensitive to it because they were living it in New York City, you know, in that area. So then you add that variable to it where people were like, you know, what the heck? She's not taking any position. She's not trying to help this at all. And Lee Zeldin has been law and order guy. You know, so you have those three different dynamics working at once. But then you have that fourth dynamic, which has been consistently hurting all over the country, is the Trump endorsement. And people, I mean, we've now seen, you know, with Carrie Lake losing in Arizona and all these other, you know, Dr. Oz and, you know, ever and what's happened with Herschel Walker. You know, we've seen a Trump endorsement not be helpful. Now, again, if you're in a very conservative state, it could be different. But Pennsylvania is not a very conservative state. You know, Georgia has shown it's been shifting in past years. New York is certainly not a conservative state, although it has its, you know, its bastions in different parts. So I think that was the difference in New York than the rest of our states. Yeah. Um, so here in Connecticut, given that Governor Lamont is a relatively mild-mannered person. He doesn't generate the kind of opposition. He isn't the kind of antagonistic guy that Andrew Cuomo is. Um, He doesn't come off as relatively disconnected or uncaring the way Governor Hochul did with the crime issue, all of that kind of thing. I mean, in a year like this, do you think he was beatable? I think he was beatable. I think it was an uphill battle. And I think you needed the you know, the exact right candidate to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, you know, clearly the voters were, you know, convinced that Bob was not that candidate. Um, you know, I think there wasn't a, a, you know, you have two, you know, kind of middle-aged white men, you know, that, that didn't really set the world on fire. Um, you know, I think, I think it was a lot, I think it was personality was part of it in people's vote. Um, but I also think, again, I always use a lady at Dunkin' Donuts example, right? That's my everyday person. So you show up at Dunkin' Donuts and just a, a regular person there, and you ask the question, what do you think about Governor Lamont? They're going to be like, you know, unless they're just a huge Republican and they don't like him or they have a big issue with COVID, and they're like, but the average person is like, I, I think he's fine. Like, he's, I don't know, he seems like a nice guy, and, you know, my life's okay. It's, you know, I didn't really feel any huge difference. Now, you know, you and I and people on the inside or who live in this world know every nuance of what he did, knows that he got a ton of COVID money. You know, again, not his fault, but that was the circumstances he was, you know, he was in, um, you know, with the budget that, that the Republicans did, the minority party budget in 2017 with right. bonding caps and spending caps and all of that. That's why our rainy day fund is so flush. Strong, right. You know, and I'm proud of that work we did. Right. But that's what he walked into. Again, not his fault, but he didn't. He didn't do it, but, you know, he's he was benefiting there from happened. it. Right, so, right. You know, just like you get blamed for things that are your fault and you get credit, you get credit for things that are your fault. Now, the first year Governor Lamont was governor, you remember very clearly it was the tolls, mm-hmm. the, you know, the tolls debate. And we, we won that. And by we, I mean, you know, everybody in the state who didn't want tolls, right. who didn't want 
their hands, people, the government sticking their hands in their pocket anymore. And he was very unpopular. He had low 20s approval rating and he didn't like the job. And then COVID hit, you know, and, and that's what that's where we ended up. But, you know, the, the everyday person clearly showed that they, you know, think he's a nice enough guy, which plays into voting for people. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. And their life isn't so bad. I think you're right that Connecticut is truly a purple state. I mean, we're winning this reputation or, you know, as being a very blue state. But really, if you look, it's it's a purple state. You know, systemically, however, I mean, in these last years, it's been voting like a blue state. In your view, what are the reasons for that? What are the reasons systemically that that, that keeps happening, do you think? I think there's there's several reasons. I mean, first of all, let's remember we've had tw- we had 20 years of Republican governors in Roland and Rell. Now we've had now we've had Malloy for two terms, and now we're going on our second term of, of Lamont. So that's going to be about to be, e- yep. be equal. Um, in 2017-18, we had a tie in the United States in this uh, Connecticut Senate, mm-hmm. and a four vote difference in in the House, and that's how we were able to get good things done for Connecticut because the Democrats, who were used to being in the majority all those years and kind of doing what they wanted, um, were forced to work with us, and that was that collaboration I talked about where we actually got things done. Those spending caps and bonding caps we'd been proposing for decades, right, right, decades. And they never had any reason to do it because it tied their hands. One of the Democrat leaders who I like very much, I just don't happen to agree with him on a lot. I said, how could you not support, how could you not support a bonding, a a spending cap? I mean, first of all, in 1991, the large majority of people in Connecticut on a referendum said they wanted it. Well, well, why would I want to do that? It would tie our hands. Right. And he was honest, right? God bless. I mean, he was honest, but, but that's the problem. They don't want their hands tied. And we believe that that's, more of a responsibility because the voters wanted it. Of course. So we were able to get great things done when when there's an even amount or a close to even amount of Republicans and Democrats. So in terms of the media, people talk a lot about how this sort of media mismatch plays into a lot of the way our elections work out. How big a factor do you think that actually is? I think it's it's certainly a factor. I think any of us that were paying attention during the election saw you know, whether it's, uh, let's use the governor's race, for example, we saw both, you know, Governor Lamont and Bob Stefanowski out there in the press every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure he would argue that, you know, he got less press, but there was, he was also running against an incumbent, you know, so he has the, the ability to be in the press every day. I think it plays, I think it plays into it more when the under ticket. So you have people at governor's races, U.S. Senate races at the top of the ticket, and, you know, when they don't do well, that hurts everybody underneath. I mean, I believe it hurt George Logan. Yeah. You know, a lot. I be- I know for a fact it hurt state reps and state Senate candidates underneath all those constitutional officers that nobody even knows they're running. You know, so I think, you know, it's an issue of is it equitable, the amount of press both sides are getting. But it's also, you know, your average person out there voting, they're not paying attention to you know, state who the state treasurer is or the secretary of state is or comptroller. And I think that that's a big problem because when you look at things like comptroller and treasurer, those are huge jobs. Yes. You know, and I think that we, you know, it's it should be a consideration of those positions being appointed at a certain, because because we don't, I mean, if I'm not the person I am and I'm not intimately involved in politics, I mean, I don't know what what you would need to be qualified, right? To use that word qualified. And I say that in air quotes, 
to be a state treasurer, right, or a state comptroller. But you really you have you you really need to be qualified, right? You know, Harry Aurora, who ran for who ran for treasurer. I mean, he has twenty five years in in finance. Now, he knows he's he's all about data. You know, he knows what's going to help the state and hurt the state. And it's 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 unfortunate for a state when people like that don't get elected because those are the people that are re- should really be doing those technical jobs to move our state forward. I agree, especially now when we hear so much talk about democracy and losing our democracy. You know, these jobs like secretary of the state, it really is important that they're in the hands of people that all everyone can have confidence in and, and who are there for the right reasons. I know exactly what you mean. Going forward, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but as we, you know, get ready to just wind up, um, Themis, if you could wave a magic wand and change a thing or two, say, to make Connecticut's elections or political climate or anything, in your view, just generally healthier or yielding better outcomes for the people, you know, if if you were the czar, say, for a day, um, what would you do? I think I would make sure that both parties are choosing candidates that are qualified for the job and are not extreme. And I would say that on both sides of the aisle, because that's what I think this election nationally was, and in Connecticut too, a referendum on extremism. They want people who certainly are going to fight for what they believe in and fight for what's best for their state or their country, but then be collaborative and be reasonable, you know, and sit down and, and, you know, figure out, you know, I got elected to do this job. I didn't get elected to just fight for the sake of fighting. And I think when you see the battleground states this year, that couldn't have been more clear. You know, and I think that both parties need to be picking candidates who are willing to do that. And and people will argue, well, then, you know, that's the problem we have here in Connecticut, for example. I'm sure other people say it in other states, that then you can't differentiate between the parties. I can very clearly differentiate between the parties. I am a traditional Republican. I believe in lower taxes and smaller government, allowing people to make as many decisions for themselves as they can. I believe in strong foreign policy. This isn't about, do I support... Donald Trump, or do I support Ron DeSantis, or do I support Nikki? You know, it's not what this is about. It's a, you know, I can tell you the difference between me and my opponents, right? But I can also tell you that I am not such an extremist that I'm not going to sit down with the Democrats. Because once you're elected and you're sitting in that House chamber or that Senate chamber or in the governor's office, you have one job and one job only to do what's best for the state or your town or your country. I am grateful to you for taking the time to work through the elections and where we're headed and what it all means for Connecticut, Themis. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And we hope to hear from you again in many ways here in Connecticut. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. And thanks to all of you for having joined us for another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. We look forward to having you with us next time. I'll show you around this place I call home